thanks so much to those of you who are visiting with us. Thanks for indulging us. We believe this is a powerful, epic, and critically important season in the life of our church. I look forward to the opportunity to tell you more about how God got us here because it's a great story. And we believe that it's critically important for us. It's important, it's wise, it's good stewardship for us to be able to seize this opportunity, this season, as effectively as we can. So what we're talking about, beginning last week and for the next several weeks, are the values and really the heart attitudes that we need to be focused on as a congregation as we move into this next season in our life together. Now, these are biblical values, so there's application for all of us to every season in our lives, but we are especially focused on this next season for us as a congregation. So visitors, indulge us, if you would, while we we talk a little bit about this, and I I have prayed that God would bless you through this as well and, and speak to you. Last week, we began a series of conversations about hard attitudes that we need to be thinking about, especially focused on this fall. And last week we talked about two. Today we'll talk about one. Last week we talked first about solidarity or unity. As the Apostle Paul put it, he said it like this, be like-minded having the same love being one in spirit. And we know that there will be challenges to that sense of unity, that solidarity. One of the aspects of solidarity that we especially focused on last week was the need for all of us in our own places, in our own spot, and within our own gift mix and talent to step up and to step in. We said for all of us, this solidarity will involve stepping in. We said that during the months of September and October and November, one of our key phrases must be connect in full. And for the next couple of months, I'm going to be saying these phrases repeatedly in a lot of different contexts. So I'm going to get you to say that now together, connect in full on three. One, two, three. We will be people who connect in full. We will allow the weight of ourselves to be felt not just at work or at school, but in church. The, The second heart attitude that we talked about was service. Remember in the passage we looked at last week, if you were here, you, you may remember that Paul laid out two alternatives to a heart attitude of service. He talked about selfish ambition and vain conceit, but we acknowledge that for us in our relationships, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about my service to others. And we're going to have to focus on that over the next few months here at Gateway, serving especially our guests that come to us, but the community at large as well. We offered up two key phrases that will help us do that. And the first key phrase that will help us be mindful of other people's, and this is this a gimmick? Yes, but an important one. The other the key phrase that will help us be mindful of our guests, constantly remind, mindful of our guests, is think Chick-fil-A, it's my pleasure. So when someone says to you, you know, thank you so much for escorting me down to the children's wing and uh, helping me with my stroller, you say, and when someone says, you know, really didn't have to do that, that was great, you say, <laughs> and when someone says, wow, I feel so welcomed and the warmth is oozing, you say, <laughs> and if you say it more enthusiastically than that, though, and if someone then says, do you work for Chick-fil-A, you say, no, but I like a good chicken sandwich. 
So it's my pleasure. And then the second key phrase that we're going to hit repeatedly during this period that will remind us of service is, remember this one? Nobody eats alone. So during September, October, and November at Gateway, nobody eats alone. So I said one of the things that we need to think about is not think about our church attendance on weekends for these next several months. We don't need to think about, okay, that's 1020 to 1130. We need to think about 930 to 2. And at the end of Sunday morning, we grab someone that we don't know well or a group of people that we do know well, and we say, hey, you want to go to lunch? And for those of you who are loaded, you say, it's on me. And I say, of course. So <laughs> it's my pleasure, and nobody eats alone and connect in full. So today we want to cover another heart attitude, solidarity, service. And today we want to talk about another biblical attitude that needs to carry us for the next season of our life together, and that's excellence. I want to read Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. All right, let's stand together out of reverence for God's Word. Let's go old school. This is Colossians chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, you can look along. I'd love it. It's one of those little books at the, you know, toward the back of the New Testament. If you get to Romans, go north. If you get to Revelation, go south. It's kind of in, in the middle. Colossians chapter 3, slaves, and think those of us who work during the week. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You may be seated. So, obviously, the context of this uh, teaching, the larger context is, in, in my Bible, in the NIV version, they have, a, they have a title over this section of the Scripture. They call it Rules for Christian Living or Rules for the Christian Household. And it's just basically how we should behave in various contexts, various situations, wives, husbands, children, and then it gets to this kind of difficult, and admittedly difficult, working situation, slavery. And I don't think slavery like in the United States in the 1700s and 1800s, it was a different dynamic than that, but still, think of a, a working situation, but still it was a difficult working situation. And what, how should you do, how should you operate, how, how should you behave, what should you be thinking, what's the hard attitude that should guide you? You should do what you do really well as if you were doing it for the Lord. We are to work diligently with all our heart. That's another way of saying the best we can, excellently. Not only when our boss is looking. Someone has said, your character is what you do when no one is looking. And not to win anyone's favor. It's not about anyone else. But with sincerity of heart. It's real. This is what we are really offering. It's the real deal, it's not fake, and out of reverence for the Lord. This is how we're to do everything in our lives. But for you and I, Gateway, we need to be focusing on this at the heart level and then at the, at the action level for the next season in our lives especially. I thought this was interesting. This week I read about an, an extensive research project. It was published in 1997 by Gary McPherson. And McPherson studied over time 
157 randomly selected children as they picked out and learned their musical instrument. And McPherson was really trying to figure out what's the key to a kid becoming musically proficient and the ones who spend your money and get the saxophone or the guitar and two years later it's gathering dust in the basement. So what's the difference? Now this was fascinating. Some of the students that he studied went on to be fine musicians, that's his word, and some of them faltered, that's his word. I imagine the parents would have had a harsher word in many cases. And McPherson was trying to research the, the traits that separated those who actually progressed and learned music versus those who did not. The results were fascinating. There was zero correlation with IQ. It was not a predictor at all. Surprisingly, neither was natural oral sensitivity. That wasn't a predictor at all. Math skills, income level, and even a sense of rhythm had almost no predictive capacity for whether or not they would become a skilled musician versus give it up entirely. The best single predictor by far was a question McPherson asked the students before they even selected their instrument. How long do you think you will play? The students who planned to play for a short time did not become very proficient, almost 100%. The students who planned to play for years and become mu musical and be successful at it, almost without exception, had some measure of success. These were the children who said, in effect, I want to be a musician, I'm going to play my whole life. And those children soared. When we commit ourselves, when we commit our heart to a life of following Christ, when we step in with our whole heart, mind, and strength, we are able to soar. That's the kind of commitment that we, as people who follow Jesus, that's the kind of commitment we bring to every enterprise that we engage in, or should. And that's the kind of commitment I am honestly especially calling for from us over the next season at Gateway, that we'll bring excellence to this, excellence in what we do, in everything that we do. I'm going to give you, by the way, a key phrase at the end, the very end, that will help us focus on this. Okay, in my thinking, there are two obvious enemies of God-honoring excellence. You may think of others, but there are two obvious enemies of God-honoring excellence that operate on us from exactly opposite directions, let's say. And they're also, these enemies operate in all of us, but without question, you will recognize yourself in one or the other as your kind of primary go-to way of operating. And the two obvious enemies, I believe, to God-honoring excellence are, number one, sloth. I'm looking around to see how many are already looking down and feeling guilty. You are procrastinators just like me. That you look up sloth in the dictionary and you look for synonyms and you get indolence or laziness. Sloth is an enemy of God honoring excellence. Our conversation could, today could just be about this. It could certainly just be about this and the other enemy of God honoring excellence. We're going to stay at a high level today. About neither of these things, I don't feel like I need to beat any of us up because we recognize it in ourselves. And some of us are in the process of working on these things. 
But let's make a few comments. Thomas Edison once said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks a lot like work. <laughs> this past week, some of the staff and I went to a leadership seminar, and it was the guy who led, it was a very good seminar, and the guy who led it, believe it or not, this has been a theme for the last couple of weeks, believe it or not, the guy who led this seminar had been in charge of leadership development and other things for Chick-fil-A for eight years. So he offered a list of four essential qualities for thriving organizations. I mean, really even a family, but the organization that you work in, and for our organization here, four characteristics for thriving organizations. I'm going to give you the last one he gave us. One of those was thriving organizations pursue excellence not success. Now, I'll say a little bit about that last part in a few minutes. But thriving organizations pursue excellence, not success. One of his subpoints to this main point was, and I'm going to go somewhere here because the subpoint to the subpoint just lit me up. So, one of his subpoints to this main point was if we want to pursue excellence, we will have to convert ideas into action. One of the reasons we have not done extremely well at this at Gateway is because this tends to be a weakness for Ed Allen. And it tends to be a weakness for Ed Allen because of the next thing he said. His subpoint to the subpoint was every idea eventually degenerates into hard work. <laughs> and he said, I'm using that word degenerate intentionally because he said he was, get this, in college. He was a dramatic arts and theater major. And he said, I love blue sky, and I love thinking about things. And I love coming up with a great list of ideas. And to me, the actual doing of the ideas is the boring stuff. But an organization cannot be excellent unless it turns its ideas into action. Every great idea eventually degenerates into hard work if it's going to become anything. Remember the quote from St. Augustine that we used last week? We said, without God, I can't. That's a statement of our dependence, our absolute dependence. But without me, God won't. He's a gentleman. And he's also looking for you and I to participate. So he requires that we step up in obedience and turn vision and ideas into action. And it will at some point, involve hard work. The Bible has much to say about hard work. I just want to give a small sampling. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 24 says this, Sluggards do not plow in season. They're probably sitting inside watching something on Netflix, and they're thinking, you know, I'll do that tomorrow. So at harvest time, they look but find nothing. Some of us are the kind of people who habitually let ourselves off the hook too easily. You know, it's no big deal. I mean, we're not saying this consciously, but it really is the tape that's constantly running. It's no big deal if I'm late. It's no big deal if I'm a little unprepared. This is what I'm doing right now is awesome. I'll get to that. I can take care of that later. Instead, Paul says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. So the first 
I think, obvious enemy of God-honoring excellence is sloth. The second enemy runs in exactly the opposite direction. The second enemy, I believe, of God-honoring excellence is control. Listen, our culture admires hard work in all its forms. That's one of the things I love about American culture. And we admire excellence. I'm going to add a little parenthesis that we'll revisit in a little while. We do admire excellence, and I admire how much Americans admire excellence, but even more than an excellence, we admire success. And that's flightier, and it gets us into trouble, but we'll get there in a minute. We might not be as precise as the Germans, but Americans value hard work and hard workers. But God doesn't necessarily. God values noble work done in his name for his glory, and there's a difference. If control is your tendency, then you are usually not unprepared. You are usually prepared, and that's good. You rarely let yourself off the hook, especially when it concerns things that are important to you, and that's also good. But you can put yourself under a great deal of pressure, and that's not good. You've certainly done your work, and people often say, oh, good job, but the problem is you may be doing it for yourself. Let me explain. Chances are that deep down underneath, if we could scratch down far enough, you are scared to death that someone might accuse you of making a mistake. Or someone might find out that you don't really know what you're talking about. You live in constant fear, so of course you dot every I and cross every T. You may think of yourself as someone who likes to do things well, but in reality, you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it either to protect yourself from criticism or to promote yourself so you'll get larger share of the spotlight. You're not doing it out of reverence for the Lord. You're doing it out of fear of exposure or for a greater piece of the spotlight. Listen to the larger context of Colossians 3.23, and I'm going to read all the way to the end. And I, Slaves obey your earthly masters and everything and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Not only to promote yourself, not only to protect yourself, not at all for that, but out of reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That's surprising that he follows this thought with that. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. As followers of Jesus, we are people who work with integrity. We are people who do things well. We do our work with excellence. And we don't do it to protect ourselves, scared to death what others may find out. And we don't do it for our share of the spotlight when the eyes are on us. We work hard and with integrity because this honors the Lord. We work with excellence because we want to please Him. Now, whether our struggle is sloth on the one hand or control on the other hand, it's important for us to remember the bigger picture. We don't engage in diligent work because of its own sake. That's why the last part of what Paul said there is fascinating, isn't it? God is not interested in us being workaholics, boring automatons, work, work, work. God wants us to live abundantly. He wants to provide for our needs. He wants us to find satisfaction. 
But he knows that all of those things, abundance, satisfaction, provision, are found in him. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. And all of this applies, finally, to what we're doing here at Gateway over the next several weeks. In fact, working with excellence for us over the next weeks has got to be a special focus. Over this next season of our life together, working with excellence has got to be a focus. I want us talking about it with one another. As a worship team person, do it excellently, Jordan. But do it for the Lord. Don't do it for a share of the spotlight. And don't do it just when eyes are on you. Do it for the Lord. As a teacher or assistant with kids, do it with excellence. Show up on time and be prepared to do your absolute best because you don't know what day heaven and hell is at stake for one of those children. You don't know. Even little babies that we're in the back rocking them in our arms, what we're doing in that is creating an impression of warmth and love. We are creating of the millions of the millions, admittedly, of little neurons that are firing inside that little child's head one day when they become a bigger child. You'll be responsible for a half of one because of that action. And that half a neuron of warmth and care is created in the context of the body of Christ, of church. I mean, you can't pay enough for that. Do it with excellence. As a greeter, do it with excellence. You don't know what they're walking in with. I've told this illustration to, I got a couple minutes. When I get off script, I'm sorry, can get wild. I told this illustration before, but I have to tell you again, I thought of it just now. Years ago, there was a family lived in Ashburn. And they actually were friends with the showers who were sitting up over here. So the, the showers just befriended this family. Their daughters mostly befriended this family. And the parents in this home were struggling, especially dad. And some of you know this struggle. He was struggling with depression pretty powerfully. And some of it was an ongoing struggle for him. Some of it was pretty situational. So the showers were just being awesome, their awesome selves, and they invited them over to dinner and just kind of getting to know them. And hey, you know, you guys should check out our church sometime. And the girls had invited a couple of the daughters to come with them to church, and they had come a few times. And so the girls started saying, you know, we ought to try going to Gateway. They're having a conversation one night, husband and wife, and the guy says, you know, I'm desperate. I'm desperate. I don't know what to do, and I... And I I don't think this will help. I am desperate. That weekend, they decided they'd go to church. They show up at Gateway on Sunday morning, and I was beginning a new series that Pete Kim, who is awesome and does things with excellence, had done the graphic for. My series was called Desperate? Question mark. And as they came into church that Sunday morning, there's a big black poster on the front with small white writing that just looked cool and slick. They walk up to church and it says, desperate? Question mark. And his answer was, yes, I am. As a greeter, do things with excellence. 
hey, I don't think I know you, welcome. You know, do it with excellence. Don't be creepy. Where do you live? Um, <laughs> can I take your picture? No. And also don't be like, help yourself. Right? We do things with excellence. We're going to do this well. Because we don't know what's happening. We never know what's happening in that exchange. You never know. So we're going to always, we're going to be doing it well. And we're not going to be lazy. Because there are going to be times where you want to be lazy. When you walk into the bathroom, and the bathrooms are awesome. When you walk into the bathroom, and we're out of toilet paper, you don't want to do anything about that. Well, you may have to, but... <laughs> you know what I mean? That example didn't mean for us to go there. There are going to be times where you're going to want to be lazy. We're not going to be lazy. There are going to be times where you're going to want to put it off. Lance is bugging me about scheduling people because Lance will do that. Lance will do it well. And you're not going to put it off. You're going to do it with excellence. And you're not going to be controlling. It's not going to be your way. You're going to do it as to the Lord. You're going to do it with all your heart. That's what we've got to do. As an attender and a worshiper, we're not going to mail it in when we come in on Sunday morning. I loved this. Diane and I took out a couple that's been coming to Gateway for a few months. We took them out to dinner. We had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago. And the guy was awesome. He's really honest. I like him a lot. And as opposed to some of you. But I like him a lot. Teasing. He said, you know, I've enjoyed it. I've really liked it. But I have to tell you, the first couple of times I came, I thought, wow, these people are really serious about this. That's what we want. Because we are serious about this. We are dead serious about this. We're going to do this with excellence. All right, let me get back to that quote I rattled off earlier at the leadership seminar. Thriving organizations pursue excellence, not success. This is where I think suburban Americans may get this wrong. Apologies, but this is where we bastardize this. He followed this with a thought that he said a mentor had said to him years ago, which changed his life, and it may change mine. This is the best part of the seminar coming up. You ready? He said, a mentor told him, success is my performance compared to others. Excellence is my performance compared to my potential. I think it's important to recognize that we are not encouraged to aim for success. We are encouraged to aim for excellence. So our aim is not to have a prettier or cooler building than any other church or any other organization. We do, but that's not our aim. Seriously. Our aim is to have the nicest facility we can have. Our aim is not to be friendlier than any church has ever been. Our aim is to be as welcoming as we can be. Our aim is not to have better classrooms than any other organization. Our aim is to have the best classrooms we can have. God has uniquely positioned us at the edge of one of the most powerful cities in the world and one of the fastest growing suburbs in America. 
He has selected a piece of property for us, and I want to tell you the story if you haven't heard it, to occupy that is on the corner of one of the most visible intersections in our region. He has challenged us to build an excellent facility, beautiful, flexible, and expansive. He has blessed us with resources, and he's called us to be generous so that we could build, and we've done it. Now we have to step into that place, the place that God has set aside for us with excellence. We have to work and welcome and sing and teach and clean and pray and organize and greet and direct and encourage and construct and paint and preach and tune and play and support and cut and paste and plant and pull and water and sweep as if we were doing it for the Lord. Certainly one of the keys for us, if we're going to move with excellence, we'll be converting ideas and observations into action, right? So let's all do our part and do it with diligence. Now this may sound odd, our key phrase that I want us to think about, but I want you to think about taking up your part and doing it well, constantly doing it with excellence. So here's the key phrase that I want us to focus on, the heart attitude, the action that will express the heart attitude of excellence. If you see a problem, own it. If you see a problem, own it. If there's someone on the other side of the parking lot who's, they've taken their stroller out of their car and it has blown up, you own that problem. If you're like me and you have no idea what to do, you can go over and be extremely friendly and you can say, let me go find Lee Spears because I think he can figure this out. If you are in the bathroom and the hand towels are done, go find Jeff DeJani or Lee Spears. Or go find Aaron Payne. Go find a greeter. And say, the bathroom, what do I do? I don't want you to walk out of the bathroom and look at the person you came to church with. They don't even have hand towels in there. (laughs) If you see a problem, own it. If there's somebody on the far side of the parking lot whose family has left them, and they're standing beside their car, weeping in a fetal position, chances are something's wrong. (laughs) So you own it. You see it, own it. You have no idea what to do. You don't like to step into that kind of situation, but you can go over and say, I'm so sorry, can I help? Let me go find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Let's go inside. We can pray. We're going to say, when I see a problem, I own it. On three. One, two, three. Okay, so when you see a problem, what's your response? When you see something wrong physically in our building or outside of our building, what's your response? I own it is the right answer. When you see someone who's having difficulty, they're having an emotional struggle, what's your response? Yes, you do. And we're going to do it with excellence. We're going to do it as if we're working for the Lord. Those of you who know my story know that years ago, Diane and I, my wife is Diane, and we lived and I pastored in the Boston area. We actually pastored in a little neighborhood, a little community. It was Suffolk County was basically Boston and our community. And our community was surrounded by Boston on two sides, but it was not part of the Boston city limits, which had none of Boston's advantages and all of its disadvantages. So it became this desperately poor little inner city pocket. I had no resources to call on. 
and the name of the neighborhood was Chelsea. I think Chelsea is a nice neighborhood in New York, but in the Boston area, it's not. And we lived and pastored in that area for a number of years. I was part of an organization called the Chelsea Housing Authority, which was basically an organization trying to find housing solutions for uh, underprivileged families. And this was years ago, and we were there. We started there in the 80s. I was really a young pastor. I was 12 or 13. But we started in the 80s, and when Bill Clinton was running for president, I was chairman of the board of the Chelsea Housing Authority, and we had the opportunity to buy a couple of large housing complexes that were apartment buildings, essentially, that were just in really, really bad shape. So we could buy them. We had the funds to buy them, but it was a massive undertaking to remodel them and turn them into affordable housing for people in our neighborhood, which was the goal. And, you know, possible to go get loans and do all that kind of stuff. But once you did that, you got all of that money invested. You couldn't then turn it around and make it affordable. So we, we actually needed grants. We needed help from the city. We needed help from the state. We needed help from wherever we could get it. We were in the process of looking for that. Brainchild hit us one day. <gasps> Bill Clinton is running for president, and his daughter's name is Chelsea. Let's get Clinton to come to our neighborhood and do a thing about this doesn't have a happy ending. But, and, <laughs> and get him to kind of put a spotlight on this. Maybe, you know, his wife, what's her name? Oh, Hillary. Yeah, let's get her, and she can help us raise funds. This is awesome. So, you know, somebody knows a guy who knows a guy. And so I have a conversation, and I end up thinking we might be able to arrange this when Clinton does a tour through New England at this particular time on his schedule. You know, New Hampshire primary. This will be awesome. And it starts to look like this is going to happen. So I go back to the Chelsea Housing Authority and, okay, you knew a guy, you knew a guy, they both knew a guy. I called that guy, and I got him. You're kidding! No, I got him, and maybe this can happen. I haven't yet spoken to, uh, you know, chief of staff for uh, Governor Clinton, but I think this, we might be able to make this happen, and, and we start then, we get a little excited, and we start to make preparations. And our office lit up with the possibility a presidential candidate coming to our community. Of course, every opportunity I got, you know, if we have a public gathering, we can do it in my church. I'm, everything I can do to get Governor Clinton in my church. I thought this would be great exposure. We start to plan a parade, and not literally. And we get volunteers to come in. Okay, now, if we're contingency planning, if he were to come, and we got whiteboards, and we're, we're sticking stuff up on Woo! Because a presidential candidate might come to... You get it, don't you? We're going to meet in a few weeks at a new facility, and the king of kings is going to be there. Because he promised us that when two or three, much less when a few others, get together, I'm there. So we need to be throwing up whiteboards and because we want to do this with excellence so august 20th and august 27th and labor day weekend and grand opening weekend 
And for the following three months, if you see a problem, let's pray. Lord, we have been blessed. I hardly know what to say. Thank you. It feels like there should be a larger word. I pray that you would challenge us, really challenge us, heart, mind, strength, and equip us and enable us to do things with excellence over this next season. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see the problems that are right in front of us and help us to own it. Lord, I also pray that our entire lives would be infected with this. I pray that we would mother excellently and we would study excellently. We would be in our classes at school excellently, that we would teach excellently, that we would father excellently, that we would manage excellently, that we would compute excellently, that we would neighbor excellently, that we would love excellently. And in the context of our body, Lord, that we would greet and pray and arrange and work and play and encourage and admonish and rebuke and protect and be patient with and bear with and that we would escort and that we would direct and that we would instruct and that we would clean and that we would sweep and that we would wipe and that we would replace excellently. We give our heart, our mind, our spirit, our energy to you now. Use us. In the strong name of Christ, our Lord, we pray.